0: Welcome back, everybody. Dan and Paul here for the Therapist in Motion podcast. We're joined today by Jeff Foucault. We're going to discuss a very common issue that's probably not as uh, well understood as it should be. Is everyone aware that 46% of individuals deal with headaches on the regular? Let's talk about it today. Welcome to Therapist in Motion podcast brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy.
1: All right.
2: Jeff, welcome. We're excited to have you. Thanks for having me. So just a little bit of information about myself. I am an assistant clinical faculty member at NEU's doctor physical therapy program. I'm also a part-time physical therapist at Spooner Physical Therapy in Phoenix. In addition to that, I'm also a preceptor at Crossroads as part of Show Clinic, which is a nonprofit organization that offers physical therapy, medical services to patients that are experiencing homelessness and also those that are recovering from drug abuse.
1: Awesome. Well, we're excited to have you. Uh, This is something that Paul and I knew that you're one of our resident experts on the topic of headaches. So we specifically invited you to join us
0: today. Yes. And amongst his credentials, if you did not mention, Jeff uh, ranks one of the most intelligent individuals I know. So you guys are going to get a lot of very good information. Out <laughs> but of it's him. a good thing. I'm person. putting that the pressure on you. you but, got this. but it's a
1: good thing you can't see him because he often doesn't uh, coordinate his his attire very well. He's yeah. been known to mix colors and, and things like that. Yes. So yeah. could cause a you know headache or something like that. <laughs> 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 yeah. All right. So, Jeff, let's yes. take it away. All right. So. You know, going back to that, that statistic, it is
2: actually quite intimidating as a clinician to think about that a majority, almost a majority of our patients are coming to the clinic with headaches. Um, and I think one of the things that is actually quite useful is to try to take that very kind of overwhelming concept and break it down into things that are a little more swallowable, things you can, you can digest a little more easily. And that is, as physical therapists, there are actually really only about four or five different types of headaches that we are going to be most concerned about within the clinic. And those four or five, well, let's say five in this case, are migraine headaches, tension-type headaches, cluster headaches, cervicogenic headaches, and one that I really think is important to discuss um, are rebound headaches.
1: Now, Jeff, how would you divide those even further into two types of headaches? Okay. All
2: right. So what I would say is that when you're looking at the, the physiology, so the etiology of these different headaches, that's how you can more easily separate them. On one end, you have these headaches that are driven by a neurovascular component, and another which is much more musculoskeletal driven. So in this particular case, I would say you can divide the headaches into migranous headaches, tension headaches, cluster headaches, and also as a result, because of pharmaceutical management, rebound headaches into a neurovascular. Um, tension type headaches do have a musculoskeletal component, um, but the underlying drive is neurovascular um, and then the second group would be cervicogenic.
1: so I think what we're gonna do podcast listeners is we're gonna break this up into two different podcasts so those I think you and Paul and I will be completely overwhelmed so let's go ahead and get started then um, let's start you know I think that the
2: one thing that you're gonna see most often and at least a lot of patients are come in describing are having a migraine and what exactly does that mean um, So migranous headaches or migraines, again, as we kind of discussed, already belong to one group, and that is their neurovascular type of headache. As a matter of fact, a lot of the prevailing literature um, is actually pushing not just towards neurovascular um, as a whole, but that there is a genetic propensity for these individuals to have these neurological uh, dysfunctions. And what then happens is you have a deficiency in the ability to inhibit um, pain. Consequently, what happens is a lot of these individuals start utilizing pharmaceuticals because otherwise they live with, again, with these daily debilitating, um, painful episodes. So let's go into clinical stuff because I I know that um, as clinicians are most interested in that, what do migraines present as
1: um, or what do they present with? Generally speaking, there are headaches, headaches, right? Isn't that what they come in and they say, oh, I have a migraine. My head hurts, (laughs) right? right?" (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. They come in with a headache. I don't know what's going on. I have a headache. I think it's a migraine. Right. Okay? right. That's, that, and, so, that, and that's common for our therapists to see that, right? And, and then it it's, it's our job to say, is that truly a migraine or is this something else?
2: Yes. And, and actually you, you bring up a very good point. then it's our ability to be able to differentiate between these different types of headaches because specificity of treatment. I know you like it when I say that, Dan, specificity, oh, yeah. <laughs> specific, um, is very important when coming down to, to treatment and diagnosis. Um, and in this, in this particular case, when you're dealing with migraines, patients are really going to present with three things. And that is, is that they're going to have an aura. Symptoms are going to be unilateral, meaning on one side of the face, and they're going to be pulsating. And what could be somewhat confusing is it's not just a migraine. When you think of a migraine, you think of the attack phase, which is very intense, very painful. But actually, there are pre- and post-ictal components of a migraine. Generally before a migraine happens, a patient will come in and say, you know what, I feel like I'm having a headache. Come on. Um, You know, I'm I things are a little bit foggy, I can't think straight. Um, they may be fatigued, they may even have some nausea. Um, but then that's followed by this very intense attack um of of symptoms. Um typically also what you're gonna find in that preiectal stage is also an aura, okay? And as far as what we understand with an aura is that it's a depolarization of the cerebral cortex. And so that's why you have a lot of hallucinations. It's affecting a lot of different parts of the brain. So a patient's going to come in uh, seeing things, hearing things. You're not necessarily going to know which way to go with them, but understand this is a normal function of um, what happens in the, in the early stages of a migraine. Now, during the migrainous stage, again, it could be very overwhelming because a patient's going to tell you they're in tremendous pain. But you really have to take a step back and understand what can you do in order to impact that patient? What can you do to make that patient more comfortable? Well, hey, guess what? A very simple thing you can do is control stimulus. If a patient comes in with severe pain, their ability or their their, their ability to receive and interpret information has been altered, and in some cases, it's it's heightened, so they feel and see, and and they just everything is a lot more sensitive. So being able to remove them from an environment that's stimulating is the first step. The next step is then treating possibly some of the more um, peripheral manifestations of the migraine. Some people are going to have tension in their neck. Some people are going to have um, you know problems breathing, and that's when you really want to go back to you know things we know that do influence someone's ability to manage their pain. Breathing exercises, meditation. Um, during this stage, and I know this is something that I definitely think we should discuss. Is you know, what do you do with exercise? Do you exercise this patient when they are having this very severe attack? And the literature is kind of loose with this, and that's kind of frustrating. And um, I can completely appreciate that, as especially as a newer a newer graduate, you really don't know where to go. But from what we can tell. Exercise has more preventative effect on migraines as opposed to an actual treatment of symptoms. Um, And again, there there are some great articles out there that break down the pathophysiology of migraines and how exercise can actually help protect the body against these attacks. But when someone does have an actual migranist attack, the best you can do is make them as comfortable as possible and utilize a team-based approach to manage the severity of symptoms. And what I mean by that is talk to the other members of the patient's medical team make sure the medical team understands the severity duration um, frequency of those symptoms so that they can effectively manage it but again as we'll probably talk about later you know you have to be careful with how often you do manage these these migraines attacks with medication because there can be some dire consequences
0: just out of curiosity jeff if the individual presents without an aura does this change your plan of attack or how do you incorporate this into your treatment thoughts
2: yeah so and uh, the aura doesn't necessarily always occur with a migraine attack. And yes, the aura is nice because it may indicate that something is happening, um, but it really doesn't change my plan of care. Um, again, the one thing you wanna do with these patients is make sure that they're as comfortable as possible um, and encourage them to stay as active as possible. The literature, or you know, from my own experience too, doesn't necess- hasn't necessarily shown that telling someone to lock themselves in a room, put a towel over their eyes, <laughs> and cut out all noise actually does decrease the intensity of headaches. It's just more manageable for the patient because they're dealing with less. Um, so with that in mind, encourage your patient, listen, I know you're going to be in pain, but it is going to be important for you to stay as active as possible because that will help manage some of the post-ictal symptoms that someone may have. Um, so the fatigue and the nausea, which can follow.
0: I like what you said that you know try to be as active as possible. And you did mention your literature is somewhat split upon exercise right. and the pathophysiology behind the what causes the migraine. But what is your own clinical experience? What do you do? What do you talk about as far as pacing of activities? Right. What does your typical dialogue with right. the patient look like? Okay,
2: so. Education, of course, is a big piece of what you do with, with, when managing migraines and, and, and are managing patients with migraines, I should say. And so when it, when it does come to sitting down with a patient, it's, it's very, you have to be explicit. Don't, don't mince words. You go straight to the problem. You're having pain. What do you do in order to manage this on a day-to-day basis? There are really four things you can start discussing with a patient that has migraines or any form of chronic pain, because let's face it, individuals that come to your office that have migraines, they've had migraines for a while most usually, and this is a chronic pain presentation. So the four things, what do you eat? How do you sleep? What do you do during the day? What are your activity levels? And how do you manage your stress? When going specifically to the the activity component, you want to really have them on a routine, moderate intensity exercise routine. That has been shown to show that have the most benefit when managing um, this sensitization of the central nervous system when a migraine attack happens. There is some thought that it does actually affect the sensitivity of that neurovascular component. So having someone appreciate The not only other health benefits of exercise, but also how that exercise can be used as a form of medication, medical, medical management, not necessarily like pharmaceutical or chemical, like it is chemical in some way because your body's producing all these different chemicals. But it's very important to include that in a regular plan of care.
0: I think Jeff brings up a good point there, Um, and it's interesting how many other chronic pain uh, types of syndromes and issues they've shown exercise benefits from. I'm thinking about CRPS. We've shown that regular cardio intervals at a moderate level actually does help to desensitize pain. We see this across the body in a number of presentations. It still applies here, just as it does in many of the other circumstances.
2: So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, that the listeners can, um, again, appreciate that there are very simple things you can do with a migraine. And... I'm really going to point out again that when, when, when working with individuals that suffer from migraines, they want to make sure that you are comfortable treating these types of disorders because they are quite overwhelming. And it's very important to understand going back to the basics of how we can make our patients comfortable. We generally can do that with education and removing stimulus within the clinic. So let's, let's, let's move on to, to another type of very, very common headache. And that is the tension type headache. And even in my own experience, I've always been somewhat confused exactly what it means when someone has a tension-type headache because some people say that it's, you know, again, it's it's purely driven by, again, that neurovascular relationship or that there's also a musculoskeletal component. And, hey, guess what? From my experience and what the literature says, it's both. So what generally happens with, with a tension-type headache, it has a lot of Similar uh, uh, physiology to a migraine, but um, it changes in the fact that the central nervous system then sensitizes the peripheral nervous system. And what that basically means is that your brain is going to turn on uh, nociceptors in uh, peripheral parts away from the central s- central spine, um, from the brain. So you're going to start seeing presentations of muscular pain, muscular tension, muscular st- uh, stiffness. Now, with tension-type headaches, there has been actually more research pointed uh, pointing to the benefits of exercise, and that because of this relationship with the, the musculoskeletal system, we can actually more effectively control the frequency, duration, intensity of tension-type headaches by having our patients regularly exercise. This is a component we are not good at as, as physical therapists, at least you know, myself included, is including a very aggressive, well, not aggressive per se, but a a very consistent cardiovascular program in our our therapies that we offer. This is across the board. This is just not for individuals suffering from headaches, but also um, individuals suffering from traumatic brain injury, those individuals that want to return to sport. We're all about the strength and making sure the muscle and the body moves correctly. That's wonderful. But how about another really important muscle in the body? And that's the heart. So when going to tension type headaches, you really need to start and sit down and think, okay, what can I do to fully um, um, return this patient or at least give the patient some strategies in order to return their previous level of function or at least meet their goals? And that is, an, a, is a cardiovascular routine. So with these patients, when they come into my office, again, we sit down, we educate them on the the the, some of the physiology, some of the anatomy of their tension-type headaches, but we move directly into really quickly what they can do themselves on a day-to-day basis, identifying these driving factors that can cause migraines and, and tension-type headaches. And I guess I didn't really talk about that, but um, there are triggers. There are certain things that we do on a day-to-day basis that can actually cause these headaches to occur. Being able to identify them and journal them is a very important piece of what it means for us to help our patients help themselves.
1: Right. And I think, you know, I want to highlight another thing there that for our, for our listeners that, you know, with both migraine and tension type headache, a lot of it is about self management and, and giving them the tools to self manage, whether that's, whether that's a journal so that then we as therapists can help them identify where their tipping points are and provide that education to avoid that tipping point and or then refer them to the appropriate medical professional, whether it's a nutritionist or a mental health person or, you know, a a neurologist who specializes in headaches for outside management, you know, as part of our team.
2: For sure. And again, that team is so important. Across literature, outcomes have shown that those patients that are part of a, 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 interprofessional team that communicates, they're going to have better management of their pain. So this is very, very important. Get familiar with the physicians that are referring your patients. Uh, make sure they know who you are and also your treatment style. That is very important so that when you do have that communication, they understand where you're coming from. Um, so, you know, going back to the tension diabetics, let's talk a little more about that musculoskeletal component. And this this does reflect also to a little bit of that cervicogenic headache that we're going to talk about a little later. But Treating the tension type headache with exercise, with self management, but also with some manual techniques, has been shown to be very, very beneficial. And trust me, the patient's going to love you for it. Um, so you know, myofascial components, uh, joint mobilizations, anything that we can uh, do to affect the nociception that's happening within the the, the periphery, the patients are really going to enjoy. Going back again to also to the the basics of postural control, and I know we'll get into this a little later, but understanding the importance of your segmental um, musculature, um, you know, you're talking about your segmental stabilizers, such as our longus coli in the neck, but also your phasic muscles are very important because those phasic muscles are going to be the ones that are going to be over-recruited. And what what muscles do I mean by that specifically? You're really starting to look at your upper trapezius, Yes, I said specifically. Yes, yes, you did. Are marking these down as far as (laughs) I should be. Yeah, you should be. (laughs) So you're looking at your upper trapezius. You're looking at your sternocleidomastoid. um, You're looking at your cervical paraspinals. And even in some cases, the smaller, and I believe they are both stabilizing and phasic muscles, but your suboccipital muscles are huge driving factors in some of these presentations of tension-type headaches. Um, and again, you know, we're going to talk more heavily on that when we do discuss cervicogenic headaches down
1: the line. So do you want to get into you know that upper cervical spine posture and the impact that SEM has on that now, or do you want to get into that let's, when we talk about cervicogenic? Let's, or-
2: let's get to that when we talk about cervicogenic because I think there's still enough here to, to talk about with the neurovascular component that um, I think that you need to be comfortable addressing uh, when that patient comes to that door. Now, the next headache that you're going to see semi-often. It's not terribly common, especially in females, but for men, cluster type headaches are, as what to, are described as extremely debilitating attacks of headaches. Um, and they're called cluster because they're episodic. Meaning these headaches happen um, in, a, in a very quick succession in a short period of time. And it, from what we understand, these cluster type headaches are associated with um, sleeping patterns. So, When trying to understand exactly how to manage these types of headaches, we have to go back to those four things that we are basically talking to each one of our headache patients about. What are you eating? You mean
1: patients with headaches? Oh,
2: my gosh. (laughs) Oh Yes, patients with headaches. Um, (laughs) And that is, you know, what are they eating? Uh, How are they sleeping? What are their physical activities? And then also what is their stress management? And in this particular population of patients, it's very important to have this conversation about, what are you doing before going to bed? Um, what is your caffeine consumption? Because that's heavily tied to it. Also, smoking is also tied to the presentation or provocation of cluster headaches. What
1: about screen time? Yes. Um, I haven't been
2: able to find any definitive information as far as whether or not screen time is is can drive cluster headaches. But you both know and I know that when I spend a long time doing research or doing documentation, by the end of the day, my head kills me. And um, th- this is important because one thing I didn't talk about, and I'm sorry I didn't, is the presentation that's going to help you differentiate between what exactly is a migraineous headache, what is a tension headache, and what's a cluster headache. The, again, the migraineous headache is unilateral. It's pulsating. You generally have an aura associated with it you'll have nausea. You'll actually have nausea with most of these other types of headaches. Tension-type headaches are unique because they affect the muscular system. um, um, Bilaterally, it can have bilateral presentation of symptoms. With cluster headaches, these are going to happen unilaterally again. But again, the difference is that you're not going to necessarily have the aura, but also the frequency and the intensity of these headaches are going to be much more confined to a short period of time, and they're going to be very intense, and it's going to be associated generally with males. So again, I wanted to make sure that that was clear. Um, so can you ask me that question again? What question did you ask me before? I have totally spaced. I moved on. You guys don't remember? You just want me to start? No. I can I can continue talking. I'll just continue talking. That sounds Talking's good. Talking's good. We like talking. <laughs> okay. So uh, going back to the, the the sleeping pad, screen time. That's what it was, the screen time. Yes. Um, and actually, there's some interesting programs that you can um, uh, educate your patients on as far as um, when to turn down certain types of light on for coming from your screen again i am not an expert with this but i have found that when you transition your screen light to more of kind of a um, a red color wavelength that actually um, doesn't disrupt sleeping patterns um, as a matter of fact with that um, my my wife and i have been doing some research with this just because we're expecting a baby probably in the next two or three weeks and so we have installed red lights all around our, our master bedroom because, again, their literature shows that if we need to get up and we need to see where we're going, but we don't necessarily want to disrupt the, the disrupt the sleep of our child, but also of ourselves, having red light actually suits that.
1: So um, of course you would do that in your bedroom. Of course I would. <laughs> of course I would. Yeah. So um, yeah,
2: it, we have to, it's an interesting story when we do have guests over and they're like, why are these red lights all over the place? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the reason why. Um, but There is some conflict, and something that I have talked to some of my colleagues, even some of my students at NAU about is whether or not exercise is actually beneficial for these patients that have cluster headaches. And you're going to hear a lot of different things from the literature, and there are a lot of case studies out there that state, oh, you know, I I did exercise, a really intense bout of exercise when I had an attack, and it really seemed to help. But there's nothing consistent out there that tells us that actually exercise does help cluster headaches. Um, The biggest thing when working with individuals that suffer from these type of headaches is lifestyle management. It's not to say that we're not valuable because we are, because we have a much more functional approach to how someone manages their life. And you need to have that conversation. And more than likely, none of these headaches are going to happen by themselves. You're going to have someone that's going to have a migrainous headache. They're going to have a tension headache. And they may even have suffering from cluster headaches all at the same time. So the more that we can engage the patient on and reach several different systems, the better outcomes you're going to have with them.
0: And I think it circles back to something you talked about with journaling, the the headaches. Yes. And again, yes. no one ever presents any patient across any individual you see is going to have a perfect textbook presentation all the time or a protocol to follow. Like you said, sometimes light could be beneficial or not. Well, this is where the journal comes in, the education. Help the patient self-manage. If you find a trigger or something that is going to provoke issues, have them diminish it. If it doesn't, you can move on to the next That's step. Correct. So right. seeking through and going through these things is good because that is going to be the recurrent theme we keep hearing as well. This could help or couldn't help. If research is unsure, even if research is sure, it doesn't guarantee patients should present and respond the same way across the board. So it goes back to like you said, Jeff, educate, help them and help them self-manage lifestyles. That's exactly right.
2: And and it can be overwhelming because we as physical therapists, we want an answer. I want one (laughs) thing I'm going to do then that's going to help my patient and I'm going to be amazing. But unfortunately with this patient population, you kind of have to reserve yourself to the fact that you're not always going to have an answer. And, but that's also so, – it's, it's so important for you to be able to utilize your, your professional team and it'll help you with that. Also, speak to a colleague. They may have a great idea about something they have tried before that has really, really worked well with their patient population.
0: I want to ask you an answer question. You talked about doing manual therapy before for both migraines but more so on the tension type Correct. headache. What is your target? And what I mean by that is, are you going for more of a pain relief? Are you going for more of a reprodu- reproduction of symptoms and hitting a trigger point area or a tension spot? Because you get that question from the patient of, oh, I feel the headache. Is that, should I? There's a lot of ways to go here. What is your thought process? Yeah, here?
1: and I think that's one of the things as we talk about with, with students and new therapists is that's their, their, their hardest education point to the patient is, well, crap, I just created your headache. Right. Now, what do what, what, Which is what funny because patients
0: always want you to touch their pain. Um, but but then they get mad a, when you do it and they <laughs> have a <laughs> headache. Especially <laughs> though if it's a referral pain becomes a challenge. So There's a lot to deal with in here, especially right, when you have a very right. painful and unhappy individual lying on your table. Right. So.
2: Yeah, so just um, a, a little clinical pearl. And that is if you are stimulating that patient's pain, that is a good thing.
1: Be comfortable with that. okay, And be ready to have a firm <laughs> conversation. <laughs> That's
0: right. Or preferably preemptively have a conversation. Yes. That's a great idea. Oh, it's amazing when you predict something and then it occurs, such reproduction of pain, patients think you have the hands of Jebus. And then they come back to see you all the time. If you don't and then you reproduce their pain, you can still educate them out of it. But sometimes it becomes hard for them to think, are they just trying to backtrack the way out of something they shouldn't have done?
2: And that's why education is so important. Making sure you are very clear what, what the expectation is through your care and what they should anticipate. But yes, going back to this idea of you know being able to stimulate someone's pain or headache. The last thing we want to do is have a patient leave leave the clinic with pain. At least that's what we think. Or at least that what I used to think. If I have a patient that comes in and I'm able to, to change their symptoms, that means make them better or worse, I'm actually quite happy. Because that means there's something I can do to influence them.
1: Um, did I hope that everybody really paused and heard that because that's a huge clinical pearl right there. Not just did you make their symptom better, but you reproduce their pain potentially, which means you actually have something to treat, which means they are an appropriate patient to right. continue with skilled physical therapy. Right, right.
2: And And, and it, it, it was hard for me to grasp at first, but I... <laughs> I keep seeing these patients come back and said, you know, whatever you did, it caused my pain. And yet that next visit, I was like, well, great. I caused your pain. So that means that I know what may be tied to your symptoms. So let's treat it again. And (laughs) um, and, and guess what? You know, I found that my outcomes were much better because I I started appreciating that fact. So yes, when you're working with someone with tension type headaches, because there's that musculoskeletal component, it's not the primary driver, um, we can influence these patients. Now- Assessment and treatment are kind of one and the same, um, and I, I think you know. Uh, in the beginning, it's very easy to say, "Okay, I'm going to assess you. I'm going to palpate the muscles I think may be involved, it may cause your symptoms." Okay, great, hands off. Now I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do with that information. Doing your what I have found most beneficial again for these patients is just gross movement at the neck and the shoulders. So um, working on um, um, trying to stimulate something from a a um, not just a specific Um, Approach you. You want to be a little more localized. Yes, I said specific again. Okay, (laughs) gosh, dang it. Um, so, but you want to be able to influence several different factors, and that includes the thoracic spine, the facets, the muscle tissue, neural mobilization, which is a big thing, and of course, you know, another one of my babies is also the jaw, and making sure that the jaw is also working well with the the entire cranial cervical complex. But so, yeah, going back to to management of you know all these different. all of these different presentations of headaches, um, education is foremost. And then what happens after that is making sure that you can uh, help the patient help themselves um, through uh, stimulus modification, um, as well as treating um, the system and um, or systems, plural, meaning neurovascular as well as musculoskeletal. And that brings us to kind of the one thing that we find most often within practice is how physicians manage these things. And this is something we need to kind of handle head on because we are so used to saying, if you have pain, take medication. And for the longest time, this has been, this has just been a baseline. This is what we do. There is no really other way we can manage these symptoms. So we use pharmaceuticals and pharmaceuticals absolutely have their place. As a matter of fact, if you're having uh, someone has very severe symptoms and they're not responding to care because their symptoms are so bad. Hey, talk to the physician. Say, is there something we can do to manage this patient's pain so that we can do something with care? But then there's 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 a line, and that line turns into chronic management of these symptoms with medication. And I'm not just talking about opiates. I'm not just talking about narcotics. I'm also talking about over-the-counter medications: Tylenol, uh, Advils, ibuprofens, which you know the same. But this is a problem. Because these medications are meant to change the chemicals associated with the nervous system. If you use these things time and time again, what happens over time is that you desensitize or change the chemistry of your brain, of your nervous system. And it turns migraines, just as an example, into what we call transitional migraines or rebound headaches in some cases where the person that you're working with not only has intense episodes of pain, but they also have chronic presentations of pain. They have their attack, they feel horrible, they have the orals, but then after that, they have persistent pain that lasts for several weeks that never goes away, and it presents in that trigeminal um, distribution, so along that ophthalmic, as well as that um, maxillary distribution in the face. And they're frustrated because it doesn't go away. And so they take more medications because they feel they're having more chronic migraine presentation. That is not the case. The system has changed. And so we as physical therapists need to do a better job identifying this chronic presentation and asking the question, what medications are you taking? How often are you taking them? And have you spoken to your physician about management that may not necessarily include pharmaceuticals unless you desperately need it? But of course, that's all a subjective, um, you know, interpretation. They may need it all the time. Of course,
0: Jeff, where do trigger point injections, suboccipital blocks, mm-hmm. um, Botox, etc., fall on that line?
2: So, you know, I there isn't necessarily a direct tie with that kind of pharmaceutical mandate, but just because it's generally more local to the soft tissue and the nervous system in the neck. Um, and you know, I've seen variance in um, the outcomes associated with things like that. Uh, you know, when you look at suboccipital blocks in particular. It's, it's never that simple L- let's face it I mean you know once you have a headache unless it's actually coming from a greater or lesser occipital nerve or it's one of your suboccipitals um, you know your uh, obliquus capitis inferior for example um, that shots really not going to do a whole lot it may help some of the symptom presentation but remember this is a systemic change in the nervous system whenever you have this type of headache so you definitely do appreciate that and say hey you know what you may want to go get that block but we are going to continue treating you globally. To make sure that we can manage and affect as much tissue as we possibly can.
1: All right. Well, I think that was a really stimulating discussion on, on headaches for part one. Um, and one thing I really want to highlight is Jeff did a great job of evidence informed discussion built into his you know into what we just talked about. And that's something that you know we've stressed previously with you know our discussion with Greg and Brent as well as other things about being evidence-informed practitioners, not necessarily evidence-based, but knowing what the evidence states and then using that to our advantage when we're having an educational component with our, our uh our patients and our colleagues and our refer- referring providers about really knowing what the evidence states, but not, not necessarily basing everything that we do off of the evidence.
0: And melding the evidence evidence with what we know of science, healing times, anatomy, physiology, etc. all that marriage together, that's going to be the most productive for you and your patient.
1: So Jeff, I know that wasn't anything that you anticipated, but that's something that we've really been stressing. So thanks for that. that Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, I think some listeners have some good clinical pearls. Um, stay tuned for part two. Again, if you have any feedback. Please don't hesitate to email us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com and uh, keep checking us out. Thanks.